Welcome to the teaching ministry of Prophet Kevin Leon. Kevin has devoted his life to see the restoration of supernatural power in both the Word and the Spirit to this generation. Open your Bibles, open your hearts, as we join Kevin in one of his crusades from around the world. Has anybody ever been in a deep, 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 deep sleep? And when you wake up, it takes you a while to acclimate to the surroundings where you are. Now, there's a few people that get up and they, they're cognizant of everything. Like, I know everything is happening. But most people, they're kind of like, oh, they're kind of groggy. They're kind of walking around. That's how these messages are about breaking shame. You're not going to have a wake-up call immediately most of the time. It's progressive because this is underground stuff that messes with your soul. And most of the time, shame is camouflaged as righteousness. I'm going to say it again. Most of the time, shame is masquerading as righteousness. Most of the time. Because the people that are trying to condemn you always do it from a higher moral position. That's just how it works. And so I was having a conversation this afternoon with a young lady. And she was hearing this message, and I could see that it was kind of just opening a little bit of light. But she got around some relationships that were close to her, and she saw shame coming towards her for the first time maybe in that way. And she says, man, I was disgusted. I saw it for what it was. And so I want you to understand, these messages are waking up messages. And sometimes you just get this immediate breakthrough like, wow. But this kind of message, over the next several months and years, you're going to begin to recognize, hey, this is shame trying to get on me. Or this is shame trying to come out of me. So, Father, I pray that there'd be a release of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to identify, clarify, and to remove and eradicate shame from every soul here in this message in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. How I many of Jesus does something is something we ought to do? I said, if Jesus is doing something, it's something we ought to do. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Somebody say, endure the cross. Endure. Come on, shout, endure the cross. Endure the cross. Despising the what? Come on, talk back. Despising the what? Shame. I can't hear you. Despising the what? Shame. Looking down on the what? Shame. Disesteeming the what? Shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Everybody say two crosses in the kingdom. Two crosses in the kingdom. The first cross is the one that Jesus died on that takes us to heaven. The second cross is the one that we die on that brings heaven down to earth. We love the first cross. I love my Jesus. I'm going to sing about my Jesus. Daddy, I'm going to sit in your lap. Relentless God chasing me down. Yeah. He'll leave the 99 for me, for me, for me. That's not a bad song. But you can only sing that song so many times. And then it's your turn to leave your 99 and chase down somebody lost. Have you still singing that song six months from now? He left the 99 for me. And you're not chasing anybody else down. You're a defective disciple. 
Say, if you're not witnessing anybody else, you are a defective disciple. You're not out of the love of God, but you're out of the blessing of God. You're not outside the love of God, but you can pretty well forget about great blessings. You can just forget about it because the blessings have conditions. Everybody say the blessings blessings. have conditions. conditions. You know, it's amazing how people will do, they live in a do nothing world for the Lord, but they want to claim every promise, get every miracle. It's mine. It's mine. It's like a guy robbing a bank and asking for a credit application on the way out. (laughs) I'm robbing you, but can I get some more credit? (laughs) Now, let me describe shame. Shame is seeing in your soul or having somebody put something in your soul that is opposite the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. If it doesn't look like Jesus, get the hell out of my life. Say, if it doesn't look like Jesus... Get the hell out of my life. Now, none of all you religious people, I am not cursing. I'm redirecting it back to the direction that it came from. See, if it doesn't look like Jesus, get the hell out of my soul. I'm not cussing. I'm just redirecting this stuff back where it came from. Hell. Everybody said the kingdom of God is nature driven. The kingdom of heaven is nature driven. The kingdom of hell is nature driven. And so the Bible says in the book of Revelation that the devil has accusation. It says he's the accuser or he's the one that puts shame and condemnation on the saints. Now you can be a born again Christian, but you can be flowing to the devil's nature sometime when you have an attitude. So we talked about how to deal with shame when it's coming inside of you, when it's already in you, shame that you have. But tonight we want to deal with the shame game. When somebody tries to put shame on you, say, no more shame shame in my game. game. Say, no more shame shame in my game. game. We're going to despise the shame just like Jesus did. Shame is the wicked fruit of demonic accusations. It's wicked fruit, but it's subtle. It doesn't just come and directly hit you. It's got insinuation, condemnation, domination. Seduction is really a part of shame, really strong. And so a lot of you have been under shame for years, under shame for years, and it's put invisible barriers in your soul. Put invisible barriers in your soul because every time you want to do great things, something almost, I can. Say, inside of me me is a full-grown Jesus. Jesus. Say, inside of me me is a full-grown Jesus. Jesus. Well, if you're not attempting to do what Jesus did, you're hitting an invisible barrier in your soul or you're just wicked and lazy. So Jesus said, I despise the shame. But you cannot despise what you cannot discern. You cannot despise what you cannot discern. I cannot despise what I cannot discern. And so tonight's message is to help you identify and discern shame so you can despise it. Let me just say what's going to happen. When I first got baptized in the Holy Spirit and got saved early in my 
Christian life 47 years ago. And I began to read the Bible. I was furious. I was just furious because I had been raised a Roman Catholic. And I'm not dogging the Catholics. That's just my testimony. And you can find Jesus in the Catholic Church plus all the other stuff. Bells and smells and costumes and holy water and all these other rules. And the more I read the Bible, I said, hey, wait a minute. There's no holy water. I mean, for the first 90 days, I looked for purgatory. The place in between heaven and hell. Because I knew I wasn't good enough to go to heaven. I was just looking for time served in purgatory. That's what I was looking for. (laughs) And I was furious. I couldn't find purgatory. Couldn't find holy water. Couldn't find the rosary. Couldn't find praying the Mary. Couldn't find any of that stuff. I couldn't find bells and smells. Couldn't find any of that stuff. I said, for all these years, I've been tricked to thinking that somehow I'm getting credit in heaven for this foolishness. It was false righteousness. Well, Kevin, you're talking about my religion. No, go read the Bible for yourself. I'm just saying what the Bible says. See, you can't set people free without truth. I wasn't raised a Baptist. I wasn't raised a Pentecostal. That's where I came from. You want somebody to get to with other stuff? Let them find their background and come on in. This is my background. And I know there's a lot of Hispanic people that have a generational uh, background in that area. So I'm hooking it up where I know that you live. And God said, I want you to be free. I don't want any more shame in your game. Somebody say, no more shame in my game. You cannot fight what you don't hate. I hate shame. I hate shame. You cannot despise what you cannot discern. You know, one of the young ladies I was interviewing on the staff this weekend, and I said, you know, I like you. She went, I don't know that you like me. I think you're just here because it's your job. I said, really? How can you like me? I said, oh, I'm thinking in my head, she is ate up with shame. She can't even receive a compliment. She can't even receive that somebody thinks high of her. She said it was shame, and I got mad. I said her destiny is on pause because of shame. Many of you in this room today, you're stuck in shame. You're stuck in shame. Well, Kevin, I don't know if I'm stuck in shame. The words that come out of your mouth reveal what's in your heart. The words that come out of your mouth reveal more clearly than an MRI what's inside of your soul than what's in a human body. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I can't. God didn't call me. I'm not good enough. I'm a woman. I'm too old. I'm from Mexico. Oh, you know why you're laughing? Because that's an echo of some of your soul. I'm from Mexico. Go ahead. You cannot fight what you do not hate. Somebody say, Lord, show me how to hate shame. Oh, that's not got a hate voice. Say it with hate. Say it with an attitude. Blast it out tonight. Because many of you have spent the majority of your life with rivers of shame coming in your soul. From parents, from churches, from leaders, from false friends, from broken friends. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 and verse 17. 
Now, if you don't know why something should be done, you won't do it. I want to put so much value on why this should be an important message for you so that you say, man, I need to understand shame. This is not some little nickel dime message. It's something that's going to change the destiny of every family. Many of you in this room, your kids are addicted to shame because you are. How many ever see a woman breastfeeding? Whatever she eats is what the baby eats. Mom eat chicken, baby eat chicken milk. <laughs> Mom eat cheeseburger, baby eat liquid cheeseburger. <laughs> Honey, we had cheeseburger today. That's what you're going to get. I know it looks like milk, but it's cheeseburger. <laughs> So whatever you're eating as leaders and parents and caregivers, you teach what you know, but you reproduce and pass on what you are. Everybody say, you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. You teach what you know, but you transfer what you are. And so if you're full of shame, guess what? Your kids are going to be full of shame too. And you're pre-programming those children for failure in most of their life. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 down to verse 17. For as many as are led. Somebody say led. led. By the spirit of God. These are the sons of God. See if you cannot be led by the Holy Ghost. You're not a son or a daughter. You're a child. I got 14 grandkids. From all ages, I got all the young ones. And when they're very young, we know they have potential, but we got to protect them. And we put them in a playpen. How many know what a playpen is? You know, when I was a young father, we didn't have these modern playpens. We had the ones made of oak, looked like a jail. <laughs> had the big oak bars. And we put them in baby jail. <laughs> Everybody say, baby jail. Because they could not discern the world around them and to keep them safe, we put them in an incarcerated place and we said playpen. But really, it was a baby jail. <laughs> and some of you, you're in spiritual baby jail. You have not developed discernment. You don't read your Bible. You're not staying full of the Holy Ghost. And God loves you too much to let you loose on the earth. He said, I love you, little children. Sing your song about relentless love. You leave the 99 for me. But sing that song in baby jail. How many went got out of baby jail? How many went got out of baby jail? Say, Lord, give me some spiritual discernment so I can be led by the Spirit. If you can't be led by the Spirit, you in baby jail. I don't care how big your head is and how many scriptures you know. You're in baby jail. Look at you and say, are you in baby jail? Come on, smile and say, are you in baby jail? A lot of entertainment, nice toys, little electronic iPad in your baby jail. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by where we call Abba, Father. The word Abba really relates in the Hebrew to my daddy God. Religious people hate you to have that intimate personal calling of God, my daddy God. 
They hated when Jesus said, my, my daddy God. And they hated it so much, they wanted to condemn him from blasphemy. Because they would not even say the name of God in Hebrew. They would call it the name. They wouldn't say his name. It'd be like if I'm so afraid of messing up saying the name, I don't say Pastor David. I say Pastor Name. <laughs> they wouldn't even say his name. And here Jesus comes from not even saying the name to Daddy God. My daddy hears me. My daddy going to do a miracle. And the Pharisees were so irritated they want to kill him. To be led by the Spirit, you got to have a Daddy God relationship. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. I'm about to go Pentecostal on you now. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> but if you don't know him like Daddy God, you can't be led by him. And so the destination of all preaching, prophecy, ministry, training is to get you to the place where you can discern him and be guided by him. See, God wants to do something above and beyond all you can ask or think. Now, if you really believe that, you'd be shouting, kicking your neighbor, high five. My God, I believe that. I believe that. We'll try one more time. What God wants to do is to do something above and beyond all you can ask. All you can think, my And the only way you get to something above what you can ask, the only way you get to something above what you can think is to be guided to it. See, God wants to do something so unknown. If he told you what it was, you would not recognize it. I got a smartphone in my hand that Isaiah the prophet prophesied 3,000 years ago. He said, that's going to come a day. When you'll be able to see the gospel all around the world. Oh, please. Isaiah, here's the fulfillment of your prophecy. It's called smartphone. If I gave a smartphone to Isaiah. What is this? What, 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 what? Now you can look at his little box and you can be heard in Germany. From Corpus Christi. Oh, not buying that lie. But it was above and beyond. I said it was above and beyond. I feel an above. I feel a beyond. Think, but you're only going to get there when you're led. When you're led. When you're led. And if you don't come out of baby jail. And start reading your Bible. Some of you, you will never grow. Because you don't read your Bible. When I watch Christian television. I watch all the programs of my favorite preachers. I always have my radio on Christian channels. That's not reading for yourself. Watching people eat is not feeding you. I'm not against Christian television. I'm not against Christian radio. 
But it is no substitute from you alone with your God. It is no substitute for you reading the scriptures by yourself with the Holy Ghost gives you a private interpretation for your situation. God is not a God of formulas. Not a God of formulas. And I'm going to tell you this right now. When I get through preaching this message, I defy any of you to come up and ask me a question that requires a formula. I won't give it to you. Well, Kevin, I got a prophetic word. I'm going to be a millionaire. How should I go about that? Get in God's face. You got to get loose from baby jail first. I loose you from baby jail. <laughs> Come on, look at me and say, I loose you from baby jail. Go, therefore, and read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Little peanut brain Christians. The devil loves non-Bible reading Christians. Oh, we found some non-Bible readers at Rock City Church. They're easy. Because you got no way to discern. You got nothing to be led by. This is an above and beyond meeting. And unless you are able to be led by the Spirit, you're stuck in formulas. You're stuck in baby jail. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears our witness with our spirit. We are the children of God. And the children, we are heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Somebody say, joint heirs with Christ. Say, his inheritance is my inheritance. His inheritance is my inheritance. And if you don't read the Bible, you don't know what you inherited. You have no idea what you inherited. And so today God is saying, I want you to learn to discern shame. Because if Jesus had to despise shame, that means it's powerful. And if he had to do it, we got to do it. John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. This is how God wants the people that are mature in Rock City to live. This is the destination. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father about to do. For whatever the Father is about to do, he shows the Son in like manner what he's about to do. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that the Father is about to do. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. You see, God designed the Christian life to be learned and live by leading. Not a bunch of rules you memorize. And be afraid of a religious policeman saying you broke no rule number one, number three, number 17. You got to learn how to be led by the Spirit. And here's why shame is so destructive. Romans chapter 2, verse 15. Now, in the context of this, he's talking about the law and the written word and why it's so important. And then he comes to this statement. Who show the work of the law or the Torah written in their hearts. Hold on. Their conscience also bearing witness between themselves and their thoughts. In other words, you're looking at your thoughts while you're thinking your thoughts. Here's what your thoughts are doing. Your thoughts are either accusing you or excusing you. Everybody say, accusing me or excusing me. Accusing me or excusing me. 
this is the work of your conscience. And if you don't have a functioning conscience as a Christian, say hello to religion. If you don't have a functioning conscience as a Christian, say hello to baby jail. If you don't have a functioning conscience, say hello to condemnation, accusation, depression, and pain. God never designed that you live only by the word of God alone. You know why? There are too many applications for this word that there's no scripture on it. There's no scripture, should you marry that man? Should you buy that business? Should you buy that car? There's no scripture that says what to do. God leaves the scriptures vague on purpose. He never changes the morals of the scripture or the value of the scripture, but the application of every single person's life has to be through your conscience. Let me give an example. We have a lot of different sized women here. Well, oh, that's dangerous territory right there. We got some undercover chubby lovers. Like I said last night, some guys like them thin. Chicken wing, that's my thing. Come on. And so the Bible says for women to dress modestly. What's modest? If you got a size 34, another woman's got an 88 triple D. She said, that's not true. It's an imaginary story, lady. It's a, that's not true. No such size. Use your imagination, sanctified imagination. You know, I, I go to Columbia, South America, and it's kind of the headquarters of plastic surgery. And so a lot of you that have got plastic surgery. And there was a lady, she, she was in church, and she had breast enlargement, and they were just way too big. He said, well, Kevin, how big were they? Her breast entered the room 30 seconds before she did. <laughs> way too big, lady. You got some shame working on you. What I'm saying is, you can't say, I can wear this or I can wear that. When you look in that mirror, your conscience is going to tell you yes or no. Listen, there isn't such a thing as pants being too tight. I mean, there's some women, you need to let it go, honey. You need to let it go. Look like 10 pounds of sugar in a five pound bag. You hit the mall, women walk past you, they're like two bulldogs wrestling in a gunny sack. <laughs> too tight, too tight, too tight. Your conscience, let your conscience be your guide. <laughs> Somebody's dog fighting in your pants, lady, too big. everybody say accusing or excusing and many Christians in this area their conscience is broken 
You see, your conscience can change positions and conditions. The Bible said there's such a thing as an innocent conscience, a pure conscience, a righteous conscience, a debased conscience, a defiled conscience, a religious conscience. That's what I had. I had a religious conscience, a seared conscience, been catarized. You don't feel anything, a weak conscience. And so you got to understand, even though you're going to church, your real spiritual life is at the functioning of your conscience. Why? Because it accuses or excuses. What's your conscience do? What's your conscience do? What's it do? And there's another conscience we're going to talk about. It's called a shame-based conscience. Everybody say shame says I am something wrong. Guilt says I did something wrong. You are obeying the shame that's coming to you because your conscience was set, preset, like a thermostat in a house to shame. You just obey shame. You surrender to shame. You're codependent to shame. And sometimes if you grow up with it, you don't even know it. Has anybody been around places that have stockyards? Or they have animal feedlots. And you can smell those things 50 miles from the destination. If the wind's blowing that way, you got 30,000 cattle and they're feeding them and they got all the excrement, it's coming your way. But if somebody been living around those feedlots all their life, they say, what's that smell? I don't know. What you talking about? What smell? They don't smell why they've turned it off in their head. Or like people who live next to railroad tracks, they don't even hear the trains anymore. People who live near airplanes, they, they stop hearing the airplanes coming and going. Your conscience is the same way. You can live around dysfunction, religion, sexual perversion, craziness, and you are unaware of it because your conscience is set on shame, on religion. You're in a prison of your own perception. What's your conscience do? What's your conscience do? What's it do? Man, so it's easy to play the shame game on those people. But we're going to get you out of jail. Look at you and say, we're about to break out of baby jail. It's going to be a jailbreak. It's going to be a baby jailbreak. We're about to break out of baby jail. We're going to be led by the Spirit. You see, if your conscience is not active and set to innocence, you can't be led by the Father. You're led by the conscience. And whatever condition your conscience is in, that controls your choices. It controls your responses. It controls what you let in. It controls what you put out. Because the function of a conscience is to accuse or excuse. What's your conscience do? What's your conscience do? What's it do? Have you ever seen Christians or so-called righteous people and you say, what is wrong with these people? How could you ever do this? Their conscience. How could you ever let that come out of your mouth? Their conscience. How could you wear that? Their conscience. Hello? And about half of you in this building, you need to hit the reset button on your conscience. 
Church folks, don't fool me. Because I know a lot of you got your happy Jesus face on. You come to the church, glory to God, I feel the presence, hallelujah. But when you leave this building, regular behavior goes back to his program. You see, when you're a counselor in a church, you hear stuff like, don't you have a Bible? Didn't you hear Pastor Dave's last seven sermons? How in the world could you get so tangled up in this foolishness? Conscience. What's your conscience do? What's your conscience do? What's it do? What's the purpose of your conscience? To accuse you or to? So if you have a defiled conscience, it excuses defiled behavior. Is anybody hearing this today? Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 down to verse 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Everybody say, measured back to me. Say, measured back to me. Look at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of wood in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let remove that wooden speck from your eye and look, a wooden plank is on my own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the spot or the speck from your brother's eye. Look at verse six. Do not give what is holy to the dogs or cast pearl before the swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, why am I saying this scripture? When I ask you some questions, should Christians judge? I want everybody to shout your answer when I count to three. Should Christians judge? Yes. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, no, yes, yes. How many saw we have mixture here? I'm going to ask you one more time. All the no's go first. Should Christians judge? No. All the yes people, should Christians judge? Yes. Well, what should I do? Yes or no? Judge or not judge? Your conscience is already confused. Well, Kevin, I don't think we should judge. Huh, really? Well, I think you're wrong because God has a whole book in the Old Testament called the book of judges. <laughs> Here's the answer. And when I show you in scripture, you're going to get this. You see, some of you, when you try to witness to your relative, they say, you can't judge me, bro. You can't judge me. I can't judge your motives, but I can judge your behavior. I can't judge your intentions, but I can judge your behavior. The Bible says you know the tree by the fruit. Here's what this means. If you read the context, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount where you have chapters and verses. This happened in the 11th century and the 14th century where they put chapters and verses in. You read a verse and you don't read before it and after it and you take it out of context. Everybody say context, context, content, context, content. If you read Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his moral righteousness. Well, that's the judgment. Now he's talking about wood in the eye. Now this is biblical typology for those of you who don't read the Old Testament. What does wood mean in the Old Testament? Human flesh. Because all the furniture was wood with covered with gold. 
He says, don't measure people out of your humanity. Go see what God says. He wasn't saying don't judge. He would say, don't judge with a human eye. Judge with God's eye. For with the measure or the nature that I judge, it comes back to me. So if I judge righteously, what's going to come back to me? If I give mercy, what's going to come back to me? If I give balance, what's going to come back to me? So he's not against judging. He's against wrong, false judging. So here's what he's saying. I can't judge your motive. I can't judge your intentions. And whenever you start judging people's motives and intentions without a conversation or knowing the situation, you're in false judgment. Say, if I judge people without knowing their motives or their intentions, it's false judgment. Nobody got that. Now, here's the problem. If I judge you with false judgment, it's going to come back to me and I begin to judge me with false judgment. And who do you talk to more than anybody else? So who you judging wrongly? You're judging yourself wrongly. And if you got a shame based conscience, a defiled conscience, a religious conscience, man, you are in agony in your self life. Everybody say shame, shame. Says, I am wrong. says I am something wrong. Guilt says, Guilt says I, did I did something wrong. Everybody say accusing me, accusing me. or excusing me. Accusing me or excusing me. This is the work of your conscience. There are things that God says you can do, but you won't do. And there are things that God says you can't do. It will destroy you, and you're doing them. Because your conscience either accuses or accuses or accuses or. And so one of the reasons you have such troubled times in relationships, that if I have a relationship with somebody, and they look good on the outside, but they judge on the inside, and their conscience is bad, it's going to be agony being their friend. It's going to be agony being their husband. It's going to be agony being their wife. I can't judge your motive. I can't judge your intentions. And whenever you start judging people's motives and intentions without a conversation or knowing the situation, you're in false judgment. And they can quote all the right scriptures. But when they talk to themselves, they have false judgment. And what shame is, is false judgment. It is false judgment. Let me tell you something. You don't even know your own heart. You don't even know your own soul. Paul said, I don't even judge myself. Because we're trapped in time and space. We have all these things that influence us. It takes the Holy Ghost to show me my motives and my intentions. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts, motivations, and intentions of the heart. This is what happens to you. Has anybody ever had God deal with you about being proud, self-righteous, angry, selfish, greedy? And until God says something, your conscience just excuses you. What's your conscience do? 
What's your conscience do? What's it do? Some of you are stealing from your boss because you said he should be paying me more and I'm just going to give myself a raise. Ka-ching. And so in order to really be led by the Spirit of God, you have to have your conscience reset. Because the function of the conscience is it excuses or... And so if you are not having a balanced conscience, the accusing part doesn't work or the excusing part doesn't work, and you can get all messed up. And God's going to say... Your conscience is so messed up, I'm going to put you in baby jail. <laughs> oh, I believe in baby jail. Prophet Kevin, will you please pray that God open doors for me? Do you read your Bible? Not as much as I should. Well, how much should you? Give me specifics. Well, I read some last month. How much you read? Like five verses. You in baby jail. <laughs> you in baby jail. God can't lead and guide you because he leads you from the word. He leads you from the word in the Bible and the word in the spirit. And none of those words contradict each other. The spirit and the word, they will agree. Kevin, when you pray that God bless my finances, do you read your Bible? Not as much as I should. No, I don't read the Bible. Well, I can't pray for your finances. I'm just wasting my prophecy. Baby jail. Hey, this is not the magic kingdom in Orlando. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. A lot of people say, if I say the prayer in Jesus' name, everybody go, Jesus' name. name. You can be living like a hound dog, not reading your Bible, don't pay your tithe, but the Bible said, if I pray in Jesus' name. He said, Lord, (laughs) Lord, I want this, I want that. Pastor Dave said, I can have this. Pastor Dave said that. You don't read your Bible, don't pray, don't fast, don't obey any of God's commands. And you pray a prayer, oh God, help me in Jesus' name. It's not a magic formula, it's not abracadabra, y'all. If you're not being led by the Spirit, you can say Jesus' name all you want to. You got to be in harmony with the Spirit. I said you got to be in harmony with the Spirit. Now here's what you got to do. God wants shame to stop coming out of your mouth. He wants shame to stop coming out of your family mouth. He wants shame to stop coming out of husbands. He wants shame to stop coming out of wives towards each other, towards your kids. Why? It's demonic. It's a demon thing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 and 45. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That you may become the sons of your father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he says, reigns on the just and the unjust. Let me tell you what happens. Everybody here, when you get hurt, wounded, abused, you want to put shame on people. You want to say to them what God is not saying to them. You're a horrible human being. No one could ever love you. You're going to hell. You're not the judge. You don't know their motives. Say, if I judge people people, without knowing their motives motives, or their intentions, intentions, it's false judgment. judgment. And you say all manner of evil things about who they are, not what they did. That's shame. 
That's shame. And here's the problem. If I put out shame, what's going to come back to me? Boomeranging back in my soul. Do you know that thieves always think somebody is stealing from them? Liars always think somebody's lying about them. Gossips always think somebody's gossiping about them. I just know she's talking. I just know she's talking about me. (laughs) Because you got shame in your heart and you have no rest, you have no peace. Shame is seeing in your soul or having somebody put something in your soul that is opposite the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 6, verse 28. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Romans 12, 14. Bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So he says, don't put shame on people. Now, a lot of you, you've had shame come towards you. And many of you don't know how to deal with shame. You have probably never heard this in a church. But when you see it, you're going to go, oh, my God. In the Old Testament... Who was the wisest person in the Bible? Solomon. But God gave him parameters. He said, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Solomon married 300 foreign wives for covenants. And he went into those wives and had sex with them. Solomon put heathen idols in the temple of God. He really messed up. He really messed up. His morals got messed up. And it polluted his wisdom. So when I was a young Christian, I'm reading the book of Ecclesiastics. I went, what is going on here? That was the craziest book I ever read. I said, what is in the Bible? Is this in the Bible? So word of God. Let me say this. Everything in the Bible is truly stated. But everything in the Bible is not a statement of truth. Everything in the Bible is truly stated. But everything in the Bible is not a statement of truth. Everything in the Bible was recorded accurately. But not everything in the Bible is a statement of truth. What about Job's friends? They didn't tell the truth. And so I said, Lord, why did you put the book of Ecclesiastes in there? Here's what he said. I wanted to demonstrate what happens to somebody called of God who gets an immorality. Everybody said the kingdom of God God is is nature driven. The kingdom of heaven. Is nature driven. driven. The kingdom of hell hell is nature driven. driven. Let me read a couple things so you can see this. Because if you don't deal with shame, your life will become the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 16, down to verse 18. Now imagine this wise guy saying this. I commune with my heart saying, look, I have attained greatness. I have gained more wisdom than all who before me in Jerusalem. My heart understood great wisdom and knowledge. I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. What? I want to know insanity? I perceive that this is also grasping for the wind. Look what he says. For where there is much wisdom, there is much grief. And he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. That's not what the Bible says. But this guy had his conscience twisted because of his sin and his issues. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1, then verse 3. This is the wisest guy in the world talking, but after sin. I said in my heart, come now, we'll test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this is also vanity. 
foolishness. I said of laughter, madness. And of happiness, what does it accomplish? And look what he said in verse 3. I search in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom. What? I'm going to get bliss drunk and then I'm going to begin to operate in wisdom? I want to get high and think about the wisdom of God. Are you out of your mind? He's the wisest guy on the earth. But he became a fool because he violated God's moral commandment. How to lay hold on father till I might see the good of the sons of men doing in heaven all the days of their life. Now, why is this so important? Shame is seeing in your soul or having somebody put something in your soul that is opposite the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Say, inside of me, inside of me. is a full-grown Jesus. Say, inside of me, is a full-grown Jesus. Because many of you are living in the book of Ecclesiastes. And God said, I'm about to reset your conscience, reset your heart, remove shame out of you, and you will begin to be so aggressively towards the things of God, because I can see clearly. Shame is spiritual. Everybody say, shame is spiritual. Shame destroys discernment. Again, shame destroys there is a connection between shame and the victim mentality. Anybody who lives in shame sees themselves as some kind of a victim. And in Jesus Christ, you are not a victim, my dear. You are not a victim, sir. You're supposed to be victorious. Everybody say the prison of perception. Say the prison of perception. Now, let me give you a definition of shame, because many of you, when you recognize what's been coming at you to the people you love, the people you work with, the people you serve with, voices of your past, you're going to say, oh, my God, I've been infected by shame. I need to purify my heart from shame. Shame is a voice declaring distrust, distrusting them, distrusting yourself. Shame is a voice that brings dishonor. Shame is a voice that brings disgrace. You don't feel any kind of grace or honor. Shame is a voice that makes you feel, I'm disfigured, I'm defective. Shame is a voice that makes you feel, I am unworthy, I am devalued. Whenever you see people trying to buy things they really don't need to impress people they really don't like, it's a sign of shame. It's a sign of shame. I want you to be feeling something different about how I really am in this station of my life. That's shame. You're devalued. You are devalued. Disconnected. Shame makes you feel disconnected. Shame makes you feel disillusioned. Shame makes you feel dissatisfied. Shame makes you feel disapproved. Shame makes you feel disrespected. Notice how many words have dis there. The prefix dis means to take away. God is not here to dish you. God is here to add to you. Shame-based personalities and consciences produce feelings and thinking. I am unrighteous. I got to work harder. I got to do something else to add to it. You can never rest. Whenever you see people that can't rest, it's always a sign of shame. They're anxiety-driven. They're always worried about what people are. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think I should do? What do you think I could do? They're operating with shame in their heart, shame in their conscience.
You are unlovable. I can't, nobody wants to love me. That's shame. I'm unwanted. I'm unneeded. I'm unvalued. I'm unappreciated. I am unnecessary. Nobody wants me. I reject myself. Now, here's the problem. You don't see the world as it is. You see the world as you are. Your heart reflects everything around you. Everybody say the prison of perception. Say the prison of perception. Some people say, well, I'm going to go to a new city and have a new start. It won't work. Because what created the problems here will create the problems there. What created the problems here, you're taking it with you. What made you blessed here will make you blessed there. You know, I want to record every single prophecy that I give. You know why? People hear out of their shame many times. Well, Kevin, you said this. You said that. A couple of years ago, I gave a prophetic word in a very reputable church. And this woman was irate at her prophecy. The next day, she called the office saying, Prophet Kevin said this and that and this and that. It was a false prophecy. Well, everybody can miss it. And I don't, if you say that wasn't a good word, I say, okay, God has a lot of mailmen. Disregard my mail, get another mailman. God got more mailmen than Kevin Little in the kingdom. Everybody can miss it. And if you think you can't, you got some kind of issue with shame. I said, well, let's do the practical. We recorded it. Write the prophecy out. We wrote the prophecy out. Gave it to her. Her response was this. Some of this prophecy is missing. I know there was more. He said stuff that was bad. I said, lady, this is the entire prophecy written out. Her shame made her hear things that were not there. Everybody say the prison of perception. Say the prison of perception. And every pastor has that experience with people. They love them, they comfort them, and they people get mad at them. There were dozens of people who left this church, and it was shame that drove them from their destiny. And when you find somebody who's shame-based and victim-based, oh my God, they're just impossible to counsel. You can't shepherd a victim. You can't shepherd a victim. Not even Jesus can shepherd a victim. Because everything you do, they turn it backwards. That's why the first scripture that Jesus said when he was called the ministry, for the spirit of the Lord is upon me to deal with the poor, the blind, the bruised, the broken, the oppressed, the captive. You know why? If I cannot get you out of pain, your pain will interpret the world around you. You're hearing through your pain. Everybody say the prison of perception. Say the prison of perception. You know, one of the primary scriptures to build a church is covenant. If I don't preach covenant, I can't build a church. And covenant requires that you lay down your life for the larger good. Now, you still got to have your own family and so on and so forth. But man, some people, my God, they're inbred. It's all about us four no more. Glory to God, shut the door. This is us. little inbred people but we got a whole mission and you four can't fulfill the mission by yourself 
If there's only four of you, you can't be the five-fold ministry because something's missing. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Oh, man, we're missing number five. <laughs> and one of these metaphors that God has is the body of Christ, the army of God. And when you have shame, you always want to blame. And many of you, you were raised with shame. You were victimized by shame. You have a recording in your head. My daddy said, I ain't good for nothing. We had one lady said her daddy called her a whore at 14 years old. You're a whore. Man, what does that do to a young girl when your daddy says that? Well, that's not redemptive. But you're a whore. She's 14 years old. Emotions, you probably eight years old with a daddy like that. Say, if I judge people without knowing their motives, or their intention, it's, it's false judgment. I can't judge your motive. I can't judge your intentions. And whenever you start judging people's motives and intentions without a conversation or knowing the situation, you're in false judgment. I used to live with that the rest of your life. Had a beautiful 35-year-old woman. Her father never once ever held her or said, I love you in 35 years. How messed up was she? She was very promiscuous because her daddy put shame on her, didn't protect her. Let me just say this. All of you parents, you need to be having shame removal conversations with your children. Because when they go to school, little kids are mean, they're evil. And whatever their issues are, they'll come back crying. He said, I was too black. He said, I was a horrible alien. Oh, yeah, I know where I'm at. Name-calling, shaming. Everybody say shame, shame. is spiritual. spiritual. Now, why is this so important? Because you as parents need to be the filter to remove shame from your children's lives. And some of you are really suffering right now from the shame that never got removed from your life. See, my identity, my identity. is spiritual. See, my identity, my identity is spiritual. spiritual. And your conscience allows you to do things and be things and be unstable because it never got reset. What's your conscience do? What's your conscience do? What's it do? One of the foundational scriptures is covenant. But if you are a victim mentality full of shame, when I preach covenant, you feel control. My pastor trying to control me. The Bible says he preached the gospel to the poor, people with poverty spirit. We got to take offerings to run the kingdom. When people take offerings, you're stealing the money. Pastor, get a new car. I pay for that car. Pastor, I'm walking into church with new shoes. She's wearing my shoes. Oh, that's how it thinks. Shame always blames. Shame always blames. How do you think that Judas became a thief? He had shame in his life. He blamed everybody. I'm going to take a little extra because I'm doing more work. Today in this room, God is saying, I'm coming to show you how to discern shame in your life and remove it. And don't think you have no shame. 
Don't think there's no shame in your game. Don't think there's nobody's been putting shame on you. If you feel you've been limited, you've had barriers for a long time, you better check shame. If you're not happy being by yourself and being alone with yourself and communing with yourself, you better check some shame. You're probably having a shame conversation with yourself. If you feel that everybody but you is blessed of God, you better check shame in your life. If you got repeated cycles, I find a friend, I lose a friend. I find a friend, I lose a friend. I find a wife, I lose a wife. I find a husband, I lose a husband. I find a job, I lose. You better check shame. Because God wants you blessed. I said, God wants you blessed. Now, I made it kind of funny. But really, this is the most serious thing tonight. Because if you deal with the shame, it will affect your conscience. If it affects your conscience, it affects your decisions. If it affects your decisions, it affects your hearing. What is the function of the conscience? It either accuses you or... It accuses you or... And if your conscience is messed up, hmm, man, you're messed up totally. Now, you're not out of God's love, but you can't be led by the Spirit. You know, there are so many things that your pastor has made decisions on in the last five years. There wasn't a scripture. He got a dream, got a prophecy, got a feeling in his heart. So many things Pastor Amber is doing, she didn't get a scripture. She had to be led by the Spirit. And many of you, you triple and quadruple guess if God is talking to you. Now, some of the things, you ain't got to pray about it. We're praying about fornicating in Jesus' name. <laughs> and no praying in fornication in Jesus' name. Either get mad or don't get mad. Well, we love each other. Well, get mad if you love each other. I know I'm talking to some people in this room today. See where it's clearly expressed in the Bible. You ain't got to pray about it. Well, I'm praying about tithing. Liar! Yo, wicked heart trying to cheat God. Well, what's the purpose of the tithe anyway? Fresh air bill? Try that. For the privilege of being on planet Earth, the creator said, all I want is 10%. And I'll pay it back to you with interest. Remember what your conscience does. Accuses? You look for loopholes in the Bible. What's your conscience do? What's your conscience do? What's it do? When I first was getting saved, I was reading the Bible. I was trying to find loopholes to keep the things I wanted to keep. There's got to be a fornication loophole up here somewhere. There's got to be a smoking weed exemption somewhere in the Bible. It's the herbs of the field. <laughs> I was trying to find loopholes in the Bible, but it was my shamed conscience, my religious conscience, my debased conscience. But then when I began to repent of my sins and I made restitution, God reset my conscience to innocence. 
I could hear him. He said, I, I can't hear God clearly. It seemed like everybody said, God told me, God told me, God led me, God told me. I see the good things, but God never talked to me. He talks to you. You got a messed up conscience. You can't hear him through your conscience. Above and beyond, all you can ask or think. Come on. Well, how come Pastor Dave got three coffee shops and got nice cars and he always wears nice clothes and how come he hears God? <laughs> he led of the spirit. He gets more blessing by accident than you do on purpose because he is not by God. Oh, that was an accidental. Oh, that was an. Oh, that was an accidental blessing. Favor. And you can shout and scream and. But if you don't have your conscience set to innocent, you can't forget it. There's some people with religious consciences in here right now. Things that God says, go ahead. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Anybody ever see the Wizard of Oz? <laughs> Dorothy in that cast of characters. Lion didn't have courage. <laughs> Man, sometimes people, I give up, and you shout. And here's my response. <laughs> no courage. <laughs> oh, I'm making it funny, but tonight about midnight, you'll hear my voice. <laughs> That's you. That's you. That's you. <laughs> Let's get our conscious reset, guys. What your conscious do? It accuses our. Excuses. It accuses our excuses. It accuses our excuses. And what the Bible says, the Bible says. There's some stuff you ain't got to pray about. You don't have to pray about some stuff. What well, the Bible says, no. Do not steal. Do not lie. But Lord, what kind of lie were you talking about? <laughs> It was the little white lie. Little white lie. A little white lie is like being a little bit pregnant. I'm just a little bit pregnant. No, honey, you all the way. It's not the size of the lie. It's what it does to your conscience. What your conscience do? It accuses our Excuses. It accuses our excuses. It accuses our excuses. I said it's not the size of the sin, it's what it does to your conscience. It perverts the conscience, and your conscience either accuses our excuses, excuses our accuses. That's why God says, forget about it. It's not the size of it. You can steal a Tootsie Roll and lose your blessing. It was just a tootsie roll. Yeah, but you had to bend the law of God to do it. Really, stealing is more about unbelief than the theft. Stealing is more about unbelief than the theft. You don't believe that God can supply your needs. You don't believe his character. Today, God is saying, I'm coming to do it. Shame. Some of you feel so devalued. You feel so disrespected. 
you feel so dishonored, so disfigured. You look at everybody else's body to say, if I had her body, I'd be blessed. If I had his hair, I'd be blessed. Well, there's guys like that. They think hair is the key of life. <laughs> if I had hair, I'd be there. <laughs> That's shame working on you. When you see these advertising on television, much of the advertising is shame-based. It's shame-based. And if you are living that way, you just suck it in, suck it in. Today, God is saying, I'm coming to give dreams and visions and prophecy and supernatural experiences to reset your conscience, to deliver your soul from shame. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. These young kids are about to have a visitation from the Holy Ghost. The anointing doesn't have an age, a sex, or a gender, but it's looking for clean hands and a clean heart and a clean conscience. Now, I hope I put enough pressure on you that you begin to say, I've got to recheck my conscience. What's your conscience do? It accuses our excuses. It accuses our excuses. It accuses our excuses. Recheck your daily life. What are you allowing to come in your life that the Bible has clearly said no to? Where are you confused about decisions you should make that shouldn't be that hard to make? You got conscience issues. You got shame issues. Look to the only one that can reset your conscience. Psychologists can't reset your conscience. Religion can't reset your conscience. The government can't reset your conscience. Only the Holy Spirit can reset your conscience. I just begin to ask the Lord to come and reset your conscience. Some of the stuff you allowed yourself to do, that nasty stuff you did, that horrible stuff you did, it's your conscience accuses or excuses. And the Lord is saying, today I'm delivering you from shame if you let me. You cannot despise what you cannot discern. Jesus said, despise the shame. Everybody say shame, shame. Says, I am wrong. says I am something wrong. Guilt says, Guilt says. I, did I did something wrong. Shame is seeing in your soul or having somebody put something in your soul that is opposite the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Say inside of me, inside of me. is a full grown Jesus. Jesus. Say inside of me. Is a full-grown Jesus. There are some people that cannot stay in a committed relationship because the moment they get close, shame says, run. Shame says, go. Shame says, it's going to be like the last time. And you become a gypsy. You become a wanderer. Admit your sin. Let God reset your conscience. Everybody say, the prison of perception. Say the prison, of perception. the prison of perception. Shame is seeing in your soul or having somebody put something in your soul that is opposite the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Everybody say, shame says, shame says I, am I am something wrong. Guilt says, Guilt says I did something wrong. I did something wrong. 
Shame says, says, I am something wrong. wrong. Guilt says, says, I did something wrong. wrong. Your daddy threw shame on you. Your mother threw shame on you. Just say, Holy Spirit. Spirit. If I have any shame in my soul. In the name of Jesus, Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus, Jesus, I command all shame, all all fear, all all rejection, all all self-hate. Leave my life, leave my my soul soul, right now, right now, now. now. do something in me. So I won't be ashamed. ashamed. Holy Spirit, Spirit, work in my life life. so I can be naked naked. and not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed. Now take a deep breath, deep as you can, and let it out. Take a deep breath as deep as you can and let it out. Our prayer and heart's desire is that today's message has caused you to see Jesus more clearly, causing you to become a better disciple, walking in both wisdom and power in your generation. For further information about Kevin's ministry, books, tapes, or to have him come to your church or conference, call or write Key Ministries, Post Office Box 10357, Pensacola, Florida 32524, or on the web at kevinleal.com. You can call our offices at 850-475-8877. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will water this word and cause it to grow in your life.